So we've come to the end of our summer worship series. This is the final one. Now, I know that if some of you were here about three or four weeks ago, you heard this scripture before. And you might have been here and you got to hear John speak on the text. If you did, you get to hear a second perspective. Now, I missed it because I was away and and was with my son at the hospital, very much like David Tope is now with his daughter. Um, And so uh, good thing is everything's better. But I didn't want to miss this Sunday. And so we put it on the end here because I do believe it is important. And one, I gave the assignment of reading the book over the summer. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you read it or not, okay? But there will be a test later on. But the book, The Miraculous Adventures of Edward Tulane, is an amazing one. If you haven't read it, I'm going to share a little bit about it today, but it doesn't mean that you still can't read it, because it does have a gift that it gives to us in the ways that we tell and the ways that we talk about life. The story can be said to be a children's story. I think that is because it's generally found. It's a little shorter. You can read it in probably about an hour or two if you sit down over your cup of coffee. It's found in the children's section. It's written by a children's author, Kate D. Camillo. And it is about a stuffed animal or a China doll rabbit, to be specific. Belinda shared with her an idea of that was, that was a gift that was given to her of an Edward Tulane for us to have to remind us of that. You may have been wondering, why is that rabbit up in the chancel area? It gives us an idea of actually how big Edward Tulane was. They say that Edward stood three feet. But this story is about Edward Tulane, the China doll rabbit, who is the companion of Abilene who lives on Egypt Street. That is her companion in life. Edward goes everywhere with her. She dresses Edward each and every day in these beautiful, elegant, and very expensive clothes. He has an outfit for every single thing that it seems to have. They're made of silk, and they're high quality. He even had a place at the table for dinner, had his own chair. Many of you have had kids. You've had to find a place for the, ba- for the rabbit or the stuffed animal to sit. We have to find a place for lightning car to sit for Beckett. But Edward found a place at the table, and he was included in all of the family outings. And every morning before Abilene went to school, she would find a special place to put Edward so that he would know that she was coming back to him. And she reminded him every single day, all the time, how much he was loved. Edward is taken on a trip with Abilene. We're going to go over um, across the the ocean on a boat. And uh, because of different circumstances, Edward finds himself thrown overboard. And he sinks to the very bottom of the ocean. 
and he's laying there, and he's telling the story of his life that he was just, he could see nothing, but was laying there and felt that that was the end of his life. And the reality was, is that was just the beginning of his journeys. For after years, it seemed like at the bottom of the ocean, a storm picks him up and brings him up to the top, and he is caught in a fisherman's net. And he finds himself at his next home. There with Lawrence and Nell, Edward finds a new name, Susanna. And there he is cared for by this elderly woman who treats him with kindness and love. He receives new clothes, not the fancy ones that he had before, but these are a little different, still cared for and, brought and, and, and prepared with love, but they are different. He struggles with this new experience, especially with this woman and the way that she treats him. Edward leaves this home through another series of events and finds himself again seemingly at the end of his life in the dump covered with mounds and mounds of trash. He's gone from another home thinking that this is it, but he's discovered by a dog named Lucy who digs him out of the trash, picks him up and uh, by the scruff of who he is and Even though he's dusty and dirty and stinky, he finds his way into a new home. This one, with the dog Lucy and Lucy's owner, Bull. This homeless man takes Edward in, and Edward continues on his adventure, riding the rails from place to place, finding community and the outcast this time. He finds joy, he finds excitement, he finds happiness in the music that Bull provides. And he again finds love in this new household. Again, he is not dressed in the fine silks that he had before. And the, the, the dinners that he, um, the dinner table that he pulls himself up to is more like a campfire. And there's generally not much food there. And it's still here that he finds a place of community. This time, hatred, anger, frustration, and rage separate him from Bull and Lucy. And he finds himself in a place in his life where he is mocked, held up, used as a scarecrow to scare away the birds. But he is is rescued once again, this time by a young boy named Bryce, and taken to his sister, Sarah Ruth, who is incredibly sick. And it is here, it is here that Edward again receives and experiences love of a child who is at the end stages of her life. This time, though, he begins to find ways that he can bring light and love to this little girl. And then instead of just receiving and getting throughout most of his life, He's now finding that he can provide moments for this little girl to experience life.
when Sarah Ruth passes, he experiences loss in a profound way that the years before him had brought him to understanding what love is all about. Jangles, as he is named at this point, makes his way with Bryce into the city. Both torn up by grief and consumed with it, they try and make their way on their own. But Bryce, a little boy, cannot care for this China doll in the same way. And and this time, Edward, Jangles, Malone, Susanna, he comes to a place where he is smashed. And he believes that this is the end of his life. But something miraculous happens. He is put back together by a doll maker. And he finds his way onto the shelf. And it is here where the final moments come. After waiting and waiting and processing and walking through all the places that he had been with, all the people that he has encountered, all the ways that he has been loved and the ways that he has loved, the door finally opens and the new little girl enters into his life. And he finds that he enters into the same place that he first began his life, but with a new understanding about what life is all about. Our scripture today surrounds this idea of what life is all about. This is one that is incredibly difficult for the church to deal with. People don't like this text. And there have been times in life when preachers have preached on this. There have been times that I've heard scholars speak on it, and they have, um, they have tried to make the, the text a little bit more um, a little easier to deal with. Sometimes people focus in on this idea of the eye of the needle, this idea that um, the camel going through the eye of the needle. Some have said, this is the needle, like we all have, like we sew with, or you back then you would have built a tent or clothes or things like that, and trying to see a camel go through the eye of a needle is impossible. Some have said, well, what they're talking about is this space in the, um, in the, the wall of a city that was called the eye of a needle, that <clears throat> a camel could get through it, but the camel had to get down on its knees and stick its head through, and you had to take everything off of it before it could get through. Some people have talked about it in that way. Whatever way you want to look at it, however you want to discern that moment, Jesus is saying that money and wealth and privilege and the conveniences of our lives can make understanding life difficult. Because it, it goes back to this understanding of eternal life. And I mentioned this a little bit last, um, last week, but that most of us, when we think of eternal life, have been 
conditioned or um, have just, we exist in a place that we think, okay, this is heaven. This is this time after we take that last breath, that time after hospice. That is what this man is talking about. That is what Jesus is mentioning in this moment. But what's fascinating about that is, is that if you break down the Greek as to what this is talking about, it actually talks about a specific period of time. And that this is a life that is beyond the periods of our time. And this resonated with me this week because I thought back to when I was Owen's age. When I was his age, I never thought I'd make it to high school. I just felt like the time just drug. Most of the time I was sitting in school waiting for the summer to come so I could play baseball. I could be outside playing, and I just was sitting there waiting. I just wanted summer to come. And thinking about actually being in high school just made no sense. Well, then I got into high school. I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm here. And I thought about that next chunk of my life. Everything then was to get to 16, baby. Get myself a car. Get my license. Freedom! Yeah! And I thought, if I could just make it to that one little thing, once I got my car, everything would be amazing. Then I got my car. Diesel station wagon. (laughs) Woo! Back windows didn't even roll down. There were no things to roll them down with. But I had a car. It was a diesel. But life was good. But now, if I could only make it to 18, graduate from high school, then I'd be in college and everything would be amazing. I got to 18. Well, now I just needed to make it to 21, to 22, to make it out of college. Then, once I got that degree, once I got everything set, life would be terrific. I'd have purpose and meaning. I'd find a job. Everything would be great. Then I got out of college, went to seminary. Well, then when I get out of seminary, and then when I get to this, and every time I got to that point, I would find another period of time to shoot to. Fast forward, I'm now 50 years old. What's that next period? <laughs> now, you know, some people are like, 62, you retire. I got a three-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> Just let that sink in for a second. So now I'm sitting there going, okay, so what is that next period of time? What is that next chunk of moments? What is that next eon that I'm looking at, that I'm trying to look to, that I'm shooting ahead to, that once I get to that, everything in life will be Okay. See, Jesus engaged that man when he came to him, that young man who had everything. And he said, what is it that I need for eternal life? That thing, that place that I get to, that everything will be terrific, that everything will be in line, that that I will understand everything, that I will find the love that nurtures me, that I will exist in that place that is perfection for me. And Jesus says, what's holding you back right now 
is one living life in relationship and in right relationship with our community and with our world and with yourself. Loving God, loving neighbor, and loving yourself. That's what the Ten Commandments that he reaches, they're all about. That's a whole nother sermon. We can talk about that at coffee on Wednesday. But that's what those first things are about. How do I love God? How do I love my neighbor? And how do I love myself? Those are the first three pieces around it. And then he says, I'm doing that. He's like, good. Now, sell everything that you have and follow me. It's not until everything's taken away that we understand what we have. Isn't that true? I mean, that's... Edward had everything he needed. Silly China rabbit. Had nothing to worry about. No job. Didn't have to worry about finding where the money was, the food. Didn't have to worry about his clothes. Everything was taken care of. He had everything that he needed. He had a child that loved him with everything that she had. Just like God loves us with everything that God has. God is always with us. God is always reminding us that God is there and will return. And Jesus knew that many times it is the things that we surround ourselves with that keep us from understanding the fullness of life. Here's the thing. The more I've experienced in life, the more things that I've seen, the more things that I've been a part of, Living at peace with God, living a life that is beyond the boundaries that we kind of put on as success in life, is all about understanding where we exist as loved individuals in this world. That means, how do we experience being a beautiful child of God who is loved is loved in a way that there's nothing that you can do to make God love you any less and there is nothing that you can do to make God love you anymore. Everything that we've been taught in life, everything that I've experienced up to this point tells me that is not possible. I might have understood that as a child when I read Edward Tulane as a little kid. But the reality is, I know, I know the real truth. Because what happens when you live your life is that there are people out there that you will love, and guess what? They will betray you. There are people out there that you will keep pouring your heart out to, that you will be there for, and guess what? They won't reciprocate that love. You do something, they're going to stop loving you. They're going to be disappointed in you. And guess what? I do the same thing. Somebody hurts me. Somebody betrays me. 
there is conditions on my love. It's, it's, the honest, it's the honest part of me. I might try and live the way that's different, but it is so hard. See, that's what the world has taught me. That's what life has taught me. And still, and still I hear from the scriptures like today and throughout all of the experiences within God's narrative that that is not the way that God operates. God is always there to rescue us from the bottom of the ocean, scoop us up into his net, and hold us close. God is there to dig us out of the trash heaps that we have bind ourselves on, to pick us up, to dust us off, to clean us off, to dress us up in bandanas, and to love us dearly. God is there to pull us off of these places of captivity and to free us into places that we are loved and surrounded. And God is there when we are broken, when we are just smashed by people in this world or experiences in this world to pick us up, to gather the pieces, to put us together and to come in and choose us again and to show us love. Not because we deserve it, but because of whose we are. Think about the way you love that that stuffed animal, that ear, that blanket. And know that you are loved in that same way by God. That God just seeks each and every day to hold you close and to let you know that you are loved. May we respond back in ways that we seek to love others. That is our call. That is our invitation. It's interesting. Jesus' disciples... I am so grateful for the disciples, not because of what they ever get right, but because of the fact that they always get things wrong. (laughs) They're like, well, you know, Jesus, we did give everything up, so what are we going to (laughs) get? And Jesus, you can just see Jesus kind of relax, (sighs) exhale deeply and go, look, everything that you need, you will have. Now let's keep going on this miraculous adventure. Let us keep going from this place, knowing that we are loved and knowing that our place is to love in return. Go in love. Amen. Thank you for listening to the White Oak Pond Christian Church Podcast. We hope that it's been a blessing to you this day. 
White Oak Pond seeks to be a place where we accept one person at a time to Christ's never-ending and forgiving love. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can receive sermons each and every week. And also rate us. It really helps. Thank you again, and may you know joy in powerful ways this week.